Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be Continued at scs.georgetown.com. .edu/podcast This is the John Fugelsang podcast. This is Series XM Progress. I'm John Fugelsang. Welcome to Tell Me Everything. Right here at What the Fuck O'Clock, we are the little show that could bring in good trouble to the right-wing bubble. We have a great one tonight. We are coming to you live from all over the place. Thea Harper is producing this show. From uh, from Brooklyn, Chris Hauselt is our ruthless, toxic boss running this thing like uh, a, a Me Too convention. I must say, from South Carolina, and I come to you from Los Angeles. It is great to be back in L.A. Earlier, uh, we did a great interview with our good friend Anna Gasteyer, whose big NBC hit sitcom uh, American Auto just returns for its second season. Tomorrow morning, we'll be back at the SiriusXM studios for the first time in the Hollywood studios in three years to sit down with Timothy B. Schmidt of the Eagles. He's the cute one. I guess Joe Walsh is kind of the cute one now, too. Who would have thought that would happen? I want to mention that to Don Henley. Uh, he also, of course, was with Poco and toured with Ringo's band and recorded a lot with uh, Steely Dan. I've never met Timothy B. Schmidt. His new album is gorgeous. Very, very excited. It's going to be the ultimate Southern California experience, Chris. I'll be hanging in Hollywood uh, with one of the Eagles. I, I feel very Laurel Canyon already. And all night long, we are taking your calls at 866-997-4748, 866-997-GRIT. We got a great one tonight. Um, we're going to be talking with the Rude Pundit, Lee Papa, one of our favorites. will be here to lay waste to the field and turn these fools around. We're going to be talking to Dr. Tracy Pearson later on in the show, who uh, I'm very, very happy because I need someone to read the right actor, Ron DeSantis. And of course, coming up later this hour. I am very thrilled to tell you we will be having an in-depth analysis of the brand new Academy Award nominations with noted uh, cinematic expert, TV's Frank, Frank Conniff. Tonight, he'll be the Oscars, Frank. Yes, Frank Conniff returns to our airwaves very shortly to talk about today's historic Oscar nomination. It actually wasn't that bad. If you look at it, it wasn't that awful. There's a lot of good stuff there. A lot of good stuff there. And, you know, a lot of great stuff that got ignored and a couple of head scratchers. And it's all designed to get people talking so they'll watch a TV special. That's what cinema's all about. Let's do a show. Um, I don't even know where to begin. There's so much going on in the news today. And there's so much malfeasance. There's so much double talk and jive. There's so much rank fuckery that, that you know, I just wanted to have a, a nice... Calm Tuesday. I wanted to celebrate that it's Nastasha Kinski's birthday, you know, like we used to do with the family. This is the anniversary of when the Roman Emperor Caligula was assassinated by his own Praetorian guards. I mean, it's a special day. 
Ernest Borgnine's 106 today, you people. It's Neil Diamond's birthday. We should just be chilling out, but no. Nope, awful men in America are getting all the headlines. And so we're going to play a little uh, last-minute edition of our favorite game, The Dick List. Here's how The Dick List works. Every now and then, men, through their own choices and actions, will find themselves being what we call dicks. It is not a forever condition. You can get off The Dick List very easily once you put yourself on it. And again, I don't have the power to put you on The Dick List. Only your own dickishness or dickery will do that. Once you're on it, uh, it will take some good deeds on your part to get off. We always try to find when there's a day with so many egregious, conspicuous examples of rank dickery to bring you the dick list and let you guys fight it out. Um, tonight, we have three nominees and they're all they're all pretty strong. I, I don't really know how I'm going to contend with any of these, you know, so let's let's just get right to it. We now bring you, for the first time in 2023, a new edition of The Dick List. Uh, bachelor number one, desperately thirsty for attention and approval, apartheid millionaire at birth, Elon Musk. Elon took a break from alienating the Tesla customer base to bring the petulant, Jew-hating, incel child man, Nick Fuentes, back on Twitter. One of the most vile, Jew-hating, racist, homophobic, xenophobic, Hitler lovers, public Hitler love, like people who will put their face on Hitler love in the U.S. Nick Fuentes is a white supremacist leader and organizer and incel and podcaster who is trying to forge a white nationalist alternative to the mainstream GOP, also known as you're not racist enough. Um, he is a Holocaust denier. Big star in Trump world. He was at the Charlottesville white supremacist murder clam bake back in 2017. He started the America First Foundation for people who found Charlie Kirk to be too cerebral. Nick Fuentes enlisted people to be there for the terror attack on our Capitol on January 6th. And he's back on Twitter. Two months after he showed up for Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago very Nazi Thanksgiving. Two months after he accompanied Kanye West onto Alex Jones' Infowars show where West said, I love Hitler. One month after Elon Musk made a really big show of banning Kanye for posting swastikas. <laughs> Remember that? Remember when Kanye really wasn't going to tolerate any anti-Semitism on his little toy? One week after Fuentes said that Hitler was really fucking cool. And three days uh, after the wash, I'm sorry, two days after the Washington Post headline, attacks on U.S. Jews and gays accelerate as hate speech grows on Twitter. I guess Elon missed that headline because he is now unbanned and verified the unrepentant Nazi who has been glued to Kanye's side. Kanye remains banned. Now, Twitter first banned Nick Fuentes back in December of 2021 because he, he violated the rules against hate speech. He had a new account that got re-banned uh, shortly after Elon took over last fall. Um, Twitter's head of safety and integrity, Yale Roth, at the time said, bottom line up front, Twitter's policies haven't changed. Hateful conduct has no place here. And we're taking steps to put a stop to an organized effort to make people think we have. That's what he said then. But now Elon Musk has let a guy who openly admires Hitler back on to Twitter. Now, science can't confirm whether Nick Fuentes is a large child or a small man. All we can confirm is that any media who calls him a far-right activist is media afraid to call him a Nazi? Nick Fuentes has called for a white uprising. He's called for the end of democracy. He's called for burning women at the stake. He's told Jews to, quote, get the fuck out of America 
end quote. He also said to Jews, you serve the devil, you serve Satan, I piss on your Talmud. This man is Satan's little prison punk. He's an infantile piece of Putin porn. He's a micropenist fascist flunky. Nick Fuentes is a hero to people who think the Klan plays too much rap. He's a white supremacist sent by God to mock the concept of white supremacy. And the only thing he hates more than Jews are the actual teachings of Jesus. You know, he's one of those guys who says white genocide is real, but he denies the Holocaust, denies the election, denies the existence of racism, and presumably denies the existence of the female orgasm. So Dick List nominee number one, Elon Musk, because if you hate Jews, Elon says, welcome home. Okay, nominee number two. This is a tough one. This is a tough one. You think, wait a second, how, how can you be a bigger dick than Elon Musk? <laughs> letting, letting this racist, anti-Semite, woman-hating homophobe back. Well, let's talk about Mike Pence. Just for a second, can we? A small number of documents with classified markings were found in former VP Pence's Indiana home last week. And they were turned over to the FBI. That's according to a couple of letters from Pence's attorney. What? You, you, you mean a former vice president accidentally brought some documents home and his attorneys found them? And they turned him over and cooperated right away? Well, th- that, wait, he's a Republican? Oh, well, then, huh, nothing to see here. Hmm? Joe Biden and Donald Trump are already under investigation for their handling of classified documents. Adam Schiff came out today and said there's a systemic problem with former occupants of the presidency and vice presidency having classified information at their homes when it shouldn't be here. Well, true, but here's Mike Pence on our old friend Larry Kudlow's show just a few weeks ago talking about how upstanding he is when it comes to classify documents. This book, the book's got foreign policy segments yeah. in it. Uh, you know a lot about right. foreign policy down through the years as a former House member and so forth and so on. Uh, I guess what I'm asking is, if you needed to find classified documents, would you go to the National Archives? In other words, this business about carrying them with you to your, I know you have a new home in Indiana and so forth, It strikes me as bizarre that Biden's taking that. What gives him the authority to walk around with these documents? Did you ever walk around with these documents Mm -hmm. in retirement when you left the Mm -hmm. White House? Uh, Larry, before we left the White House, uh, the attorneys on my staff went through all the documents uh, at both uh, the White House and our offices there uh, and at the vice president's residence to ensure that any documents Uh, that needed to be turned over to the National Archives, including classified documents, uh, were turned over. So we went through a very careful uh, process in that regard. Okay, you get the idea, right? Mike Pence was his usual pompous self when someone else did it. Now, look, guys, I I think both Mike Pence and Joe Biden, they've said they would never take classified documents away from secure locations because they really believe they didn't and they really believe they wouldn't. And I think it's clear they made a mistake. Again, I don't know how classified the information a vice president gets his hands on is anyway. And it's pretty clear Trump made direct conscious choices to break these rules. Did Biden and Pence knew they had classified documents in their home? Uh, Probably not. Uh, Did Trump know? Yeah, he did. Mike Pence, like Joe Biden, found classified docs and they alerted the FBI. Donald Trump stole classified docs. He hid them. When they sent him a court order, he returned part of them, and eventually he refused to return any, and they had to have a warrant on his house. Now, you might say, hang on a second. This is this is unfair. How, why does this make Mike Pence a dick? Yes, he pompously bragged before that he, he would never do anything like this, but he made a mistake, and you're right. You might say, this is unfair of me. But here's the thing. Politically, 
This also makes things a lot more complicated for the Republicans who want to weaponize Joe Biden's mishandling of classified documents when he was vice president, except for a couple things. Number one, according to Republican logic, Joe Biden's now president, which means he can magically mentally declassify those old documents with his mind. That's a thing now. But also, here's what really makes me furious. This Mike Pence story now only guarantees that Democrats and Merrick Garland are going to put 10 times more scrutiny on what Joe Biden did with classified documents. Because they have to. They have to avoid the appearance of any impropriety. And in a world where Republicans are constantly working the vets, the vet, the, the refs, that means they have to be so focused on Joe Biden, make so much noise about it, while ignoring Mike Pence doing virtually the same thing. Remember, if Republicans do it, that means six more weeks of headlines that a Democrat did it. But finally, number three, my third nominee for the dick list of today. Um, one, probably the most disgusting thing you'll hear all day. Um, you might have already heard it. Former Secretary of State under Donald Trump, former CIA head under Donald Trump, former mediocre Congressman Mike Pompeo now says that Jamal Khashoggi was not a Saudi Arabian Bob Woodward martyred for bravely criticizing the Saudi royal family, but rather an activist who had supported the losing team. Okay, okay. So Mike Pompeo has a new book coming out that no one's going to read. Mike Pompeo is running for president with a campaign that no one's going to vote for. No one's going to donate. Mike Pompeo is going to get his ass kicked by margin of error in every poll they have. So he's got to do something really, really offensive, right, to get the Trump base to love him again or for the first time. So and he's got to do something really, really offensive to get, you know, people to talk about his book. So what could he do? Well, he could call for single payer health care, but that would only outrage the people who he wants votes from. So instead, instead. He'll criticize the credentials of a murdered Washington Post journalist, and he will totally attack what he calls the media's sympathetic coverage of this man's murder at the Saudi Arabian consulate in Istanbul, Turkey. Here's what Pompeo wrote. The book is called Never Give an Inch, Fighting for the America I Love. Never give an inch. Okay, Mike. That's what she said. Uh, He writes, he didn't deserve to die, but... This man was hacked up with a bone saw. And Mike Pompeo writes, he didn't deserve to die, but we need to be clear about who he was. And too many in the media were not. Now, again, this guy was CIA director in the Trump administration. He called Khashoggi an activist. He said he was a journalist only to the extent that I and many other public figures are journalists. We sometimes get our writing published, but we also do other things. Mike Pompeo blamed a murdered journalist who was an American resident and wrote for the Washington Post. He blamed him for his own murder, for the crime of believing in America's ideals of free speech. Jamal Khashoggi was dismembered. It was barbaric. Prince Mohammed bin Salman organized it. Jared Kushner and Donald Trump helped cover it up. Donald Trump said to Bob Woodward, I saved his ass. And Khashoggi criticized Prince Mohammed bin Salman. He disappeared October 2nd of 2018 after he walked into the Saudi consulate in Istanbul. And of course, the Turkish prosecutor announced he had been either strangled or suffocated. He was dismembered and he was mutilated. And Mike Pompeo says this is what happens to people on the losing team. Washington Post publisher and CEO Fred Ryan called his words shocking and disappointing. 
He said, Khashoggi's only offense was exposing corruption and oppression among those in power, work that good journalists around the world do every day. It's shameful that Pompeo would spread vile falsehoods to dishonor a courageous man's life and service and his commitment to the principles Americans hold dear as a ploy to sell books. And by the way, it gets better because Pompeo tried to question Khashoggi's loyalties. Um, He said uh, Khashoggi was cozy with the terrorist supporting Muslim Brotherhood. In 2018, as Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo said the murder violates the norms of international law. Now... He was kind of asking for it. I mean, he was cozy with the Muslim Brotherhood. Did you see how he was dressed? In 2020, Khashoggi's family sued Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman. They accused him of personally ordering the brutal execution. Last year, the Biden White House said they believe the Crown Prince should be shielded from lawsuits in U.S. courts because of his high office. In other words, meaning because of his high amount of oil below the ground. The State Department said at the time this was purely a legal determination, and they take no view on the merits of the present suit and reiterates their unequivocal condemnation of the heinous murder of Jamal Khashoggi. But they let it stand. They won't let this murderer be sued. Hating on Muslims, Mike Pompeo. So 2004. That's why Mike Pompeo makes the dick list. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. And welcome back to SiriusXM Progress. I'm John saying We are at 866-997-4748, 866-997-GRIT. Early this morning here in Los Angeles, I did not get up for the announcement of the nominees for the 95th Academy Awards, but they did it, and there's a whole lot of uh, stuff in here to be very, very happy about. Um, Everything Everywhere All at Once, my personal favorite movie of the year, led in the sheer number of nominations with 11 total, but there were nine nominations each for Martin McDonough's The Banshees of Inisherin and Edward Berger's All Quiet on the Western Front, the remake. It's actually the second remake because uh, Ernest Borgnine uh, did one with John Boy Walton back in the 70s. A lot of good movies, a lot of surprises, a lot of omissions, and a lot of things designed to get people talking a lot. So we will talk about a TV special, because that's what cinema means. I need someone smarter than me and funnier than me and more moral than me to make sense of it. That's not hard to find, but I did find the best one I could get. TV's Frank is the star of Mystery Science Theater 3000. He is an award-winning comedian and writer and one of the best people I know, and I would do anything, uh, anytime I could to ever do any kind of radio with him. People of Earth, please welcome back Frank Conniff. Hey, hey, hey. Hey, hey, John. hey. Happy New Year. Yeah, Happy New Year to you, too. Uh, it's good to see you. I haven't seen you in a while or talked to you, so this is great. Well, thank you. How was your How was your holiday time, Frank? It was, uh, I survived it. You know, it was, um, uh, it was okay. You know, I'm not a big uh, holiday person. And, uh, you know, if I make it through Christmas Eve and I haven't killed myself, I consider myself ahead of the game, so... That's where, uh, that's so. great. I'm glad, Frank. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I, I, I wanted to talk about the, I want to talk to you anyway. Anytime I can get you on the uh, air, I'm happy to. But I figured this would be a good chance to catch up and see which of the movies you've seen. Um, now that they nominate 40 films for Best Picture every year, it takes a while. There's a lot of history here. Um, John Williams, who is now 90 years 
and 350 Days Old just became the oldest person to ever be nominated for an Oscar. And yeah, Angela Bassett for her. Oh, go ahead, please. Well, I was going to say, I saw that he was the oldest ever. And I, I for a minute, I thought, well, wait a minute. What, you remember a couple of years ago, James Ivory won for best screenplay. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. but, but he was 89, actually. So. Oh, yeah. The poor the poor guy. Crazy got beat kid up, with a dream. Beat up by John Williams. I love that. Uh, so that John Williams, the guy he used to write um, the theme songs for Irwin Allen shows is so prestigious now because he's so awesome. He's so awesome. I mean, we were watching Tar the other night and I was talking about how John Williams just took a lot of these, you know, orchestrations like Mahler and turned it into pop music for movies and just became the greatest composer in the history of cinema. Yeah, he was one of the greatest, I would say. But yeah, I love actually on Turner Classic Movies. There's a movie from 1966 called How to Steal a Million with Audrey Hepburn and Peter O'Toole. And he wrote the theme and the music for that. And the theme music to that movie is like my favorite John Williams thing ever. I think it's, it's so good. Wow, I didn't even know. Well, now I've got yeah. a new thing to geek out on. Yeah. I mean, he, we we actually have a big playlist in our house to play for our little one of like John Williams stuff from all the Star Wars films and the Raiders mm-hmm. films and all the Spielberg movies over the years. Um, I just think it's amazing he's still making new music. And yeah, it's, it's uh, I, I want to give inspiring. my other favorite nomination, if I could, which um, Angela Bassett, who is up for Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. She made superhero mm-hmm. cinema history because she is now the first woman, the first person of color. And the first Marvel Studios actor to ever be nominated for an Academy Award for a performance in a comic book adaptation. Well, it's it's about time, and uh, that's great. Um, my guess is she probably won't win, but I'm glad she was nominated. Who do you th- who do you like? I mean, best supporting um, actress is a really strong category. Who, who I, if you would ask me category? a few months ago, I, well, it's Jamie Lee Curtis for Everything Everywhere All at Once, uh-huh. which I would have said a few well, months ago was a lock uh, for me. She's she's really good in the movie. Um, I, I hope the other actress who's nominated in the same category from that Stephanie movie wins. Yeah. Okay. And um, and I really hope uh, short round wins uh, in the best supporting actor category too. Well, the the other nominees for supporting actress are Hong Chao for the Whale and Kerry uh-huh. Condon for the Banshees of Inisherin. But yeah, when it comes to supporting actor, I think Ki Hoi Kwan is going to mm-hmm. win uh, the Oscar. I I, I got to put him as the favorite for everything, everywhere, all at once. Thirty eight ye- years after he appeared um, in Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, as a sentimental favorite and as an aspiring, uh, in- inspirational favorite, as someone who came back. Uh, from the dead career wise and is now on top. That's such a great story. Um, And uh, people have said that uh, they should start doing uh, short round movies now that Harrison Ford might uh, not do Indiana Jones anymore. Why not have short round adventures? I love that idea. But I I will say in in the supporting actor category, um, I think he would be a lock, except that the guy... In the Banshees of Innis Sharon had such an incredible. I, I don't know if you know the one scene I'm talking about. Um, yes. In that movie, I Barry think Kogan. it's what got him, what got him nominated, and it might put him over the top. I mean, it's 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 such such an amazing scene, of him telling. It's a great scene. Telling the other uh, that 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 he's in love with her or whatever. It was it was, it really in a movie that, in my opinion, is all great from start to finish. That even. That scene even stood out, I thought. 
Yeah, and that guy Barry Kogan, he 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 plays the you know the the tragic kind of halfwit character in Banshees of Inisherin. He just played the Joker in the Batman earlier this year. Most of his role was cut from the actual movie. Oh, but, uh, I didn't know that. Haven't having a pretty what good year. What was the other? Um, there was uh, he was like in. Um, God bless him. He was in the the Eternals, I think, the, the I think Marvel movie. Yeah, which yeah was a flawed movie. Well, but, you know. Yeah. It, I, I'm with you where thinking that Kihoi Kwan might be the, the sentimental choice. Uh, um, it's interesting to think that both Indiana Jones and Short Round have the same number of Oscar nominations in their career. But I would remind you that Judd Hirsch is also up for the award and he right. is uh, almost 78 years old. It's 42 years since his last Oscar nomination for uh, for ordinary people. That's amazing. Um, and, and he was uh, he was great. In uh, in the in the Fablemans, I thought I I liked that movie, um, and uh, so I'm glad to see uh, to see him getting nominated. I was I was happy about that. I have to say, be the one thing I really wanted to say in this discussion. So I'll just jump to that topic uh, before we go on. Is to me there was a huge huge oversight in the Best Picture. Um, because this this is the year that I that what I consider maybe the greatest action movie ever made, RRR, RRR, yes, on uh, Netflix. It's as if David Lean directed an action movie. I mean, it's so yes. epic, and it's it has like the best action ever, but it's also a great story uh, mm-hmm. and uh, great acting, and um, you know, it has like a plot reveal two hours in that I didn't see coming, you know, I mean, it's uh, and and and, incre- and the one nomination it got was for the song, because on top for of everything song. else, because it's an Indian movie, it also has a great musical number in it, but that was like a, mm-hmm. such a sensational movie and, and I really think it's an oversight that it didn't get a nomination for Best Picture, Best agree. Director. I- I got. I got to bring. I got to bring Chris Hauselt into the conversation right now because uh-huh. uh, about two weeks ago I said you've got to watch this film RRR. You have to see it. It's everything we go to the movies to experience in uh-huh. one movie. The guy who made this should be hired to do all the Star Wars films he wants, and they can all be yeah. musicals. This guy can make anything. It is such a great adventure action film that whole mm. families can watch. It's so Indian, so Bollywood, and yet it's so it's universal. So anti. Chris, what, so anti imperialism, anti British, anti colonialist. Which I love, Chris. Is it true that yeah. you that you, you you how many times did you watch the movie in one day? Uh, not one over the weekend. I watched it twice. Yeah, I'm the yeah. same way. I, I watched good. it twice within a few days. Period. Uh, um, and I, I'm planning on a third viewing very soon. It's. Um, I never thought that I'd see an action film with a um, credible scene involving uh, two guys doing the chicken, the chicken chicken <laughs> fight. Style uh-huh. walk where one guy's on another guy's shoulders. I, if if I did, I probably would have said it would have been in a Zucker Abrahams film. Yeah, um, that was that was actually amazing when the, when that happened uh, uh, in the like near the, in the third act. Uh, yeah. uh, uh, that was like a moment when the narrative just just kicked into high gear and, yeah. and it, it, it was so crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. A, I think it's a real snub that it's not there for sure. I mean, it's not even nominated for Best International Feature, which is crazy. Well, that I heard that was because that that was not the fault of the Academy. That was the fault of the India for not submitting it. 
is what I they read wanted today. it to be up for Best Picture. Yeah. Yeah. Let me give you the nominees for Best Picture. And if you're listening, we invite you to join the conversation <clears throat> anytime. 866-997-4748. Have you seen all the films? Have you seen any of the films? I've seen is there an excuse for not having seen a lot of the films in the streaming age? And what was the, the greatest oversights for you? So here we go, Frank. All Quiet on the Western Front, the remake. I haven't I think seen it. Lo- I love the, the if I don't know, I'm I'm a Lou Ayers dead ender. <laughs> you know, if, if it's I love the original movie uh, directed by Lewis Milestone. So I, I ha- I've, I've I, been I, capable of watching that movie, but I but I haven't really checked it out. I haven't really been that interested, to tell you the truth. I'm a huge fan of the original. I watched it as a kid, uh, and then I watched uh, the Richard Thomas, Ernest Borgnine remake in the uh-huh. 70s, which is also quite good. Uh, this movie's a real achievement. It's 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 incredible. Um, okay. And it's on Netflix. Uh, yeah, Avatar, that's what I the mean. The Way of Water. Haven't, haven't seen that yet. Um, when, when I do watch it, I'm going to do it in the greatest uh, cinematic, the pure cinematic experience how it should be watched, which is at home with the ability to pause it up anytime you need to go to the bathroom. That's how I'm going to end up watching it when it's on the Disney Channel. Yeah, I have to fight you. I have to fight you on it. You know why? I'm not a huge fan of the original. And I took my kid back to see the original in theaters this summer when they brought it back. And everything I didn't like 13 years ago, I didn't like now. But I saw this in the theaters right before Christmas without my kid. And Frank, it's it's rare to see a sequel that is this much better than the original and the effects are astonishing if you're going to watch it at all it should be seen in the theater i i don't know if you need to watch it on tv it's really well, worth I, seeing. I, it follows <clears throat> all the kids it has more character than the first one well i i might like it more than you then because i actually really liked the original and and i saw okay, it in good. three i saw it in 3d um but then i saw it on tv and then i still thought it was good so i'm still sticking to my plan I'm going to come back my, to New York. My, I'm going to take you to see Avatar. I'm going to take you to see Avatar. It's a three-hour movie. Well, good. Then you yes. can tell me the, the scenes I can go to the bathroom during. That's yes. Uh, even James Cameron, James Cameron said, if you have to go to the bathroom, don't worry about it. It's not a problem. And I went to the bathroom during it. It's not a problem. It's a very long okay. movie. Um, mm-hmm. Banshees of Inishirin is up for Best that, Picture. Uh, have you seen it? McDonough I've movie? seen it, and I, and I was uh, um, like completely uh, bowled over by it. In any other year... It would be a lock in terms of my personal choice for for best picture. It practically is now anyway. But uh, I, I thought it was just so great. I, and and that I guy, it. Martin McDonough, has done great stuff. But our, this to me was greatest the playwright. best. This to me was yeah. the, the, the and, and it, you know, it could have been a play, actually. Um, yeah. But he, he, he made a very cinematic version of it, though. And uh, I'm really glad he made it as a film. Yeah. Yeah, this could be adapted easily to a play, and I love his plays. I've seen a bunch of them on stage. Uh-huh. Um, and, and have you seen Imbruge yet, Frank? For years, I've been trying to yes, get you to see Yes, I did. I, okay, I, finally, good. I did see it, and uh, and I loved it. And um, and this, but this was my favorite thing. And I have to say too, the Brendan Gleeson um, being nominated. I'm glad he got a nomination, but nominating him as best supporting actor is a thing that's been happening a lot in the last few years. It's called category mm-hmm. fraud. Category fraud. Category he, fraud. I agree. It's not a supporting act. They did that with Brad Pitt in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. They and did it's it with Viola to, Davis in Fences. With Viola yes. Davis in Fences. She's the female lead in that movie. It's it's like they considered an easier way to get an Oscar. And actually, I read that this year, Michelle Williams told 
the studio, do not submit me in best supporting actor, which is which they were intending to do. And she yep. held out and got a best actress nomination. But it's it's kind of a it's it's something I think the Academy should crack down on. It's 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 bullshit, although I, I'd love I'd be happy for him to get an award and everything. He's such a great actor. Um, you know, this way they got two uh, and Colin Farrell was sensational in it, too. But this way they got two nominations in two different categories. But it's it's That's fraud. Right. <laughs> um, well, I mean, it's a it's an interesting list of Best Picture nominees because you have uh, two sequels, one remake, and then mm-hmm. a Baz Luhrmann movie, which I love, uh, and that's uh, Elvis. I did not expect to like it. I expected to have the same problems I have with all Baz Luhrmann films, but uh, it was like Lisa Marie Presley's official Graceland party line view of Elvis's life propaganda mm-hmm. mixed with Baz Luhrmann on God knows what drugs, and I found it to be completely engaging and fun and ridiculous and really tells Elvis's story much better than I ever expected it to. Well, I, I agree to an extent. I, I thought it was like great filmmaking uh, and it was enjoyable. I do think that presenting Elvis as some kind of civil rights hero, I think, was kind of myth making. I, I agree. And, that's, and that's, bull- that's, and bullshit. that's Priscilla. He did. He did acknowledge that he was basically playing black music his whole life but he never really in the 60s he never really stepped up uh never in terms of uh, civil rights and 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 they uh you know uh they portrayed him <laughs> as such and and that 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 kind of know. rubbed me the wrong way but it, there was a lot of enjoyable stuff in it though well well again like you know my my problems with it were uh, how <sighs> They could afford a fat suit for Tom Hanks as Colonel Tom Parker, but they never could afford a fat suit to show Elvis ever being unattractive. They right. they really never let him let himself go. Also, you know, the way that they kind of dressed up a lot of the behaviors. Lisa Marie left Elvis for his karate instructor. The movie makes it look like this. Oh, she couldn't stand seeing himself destroy him with drugs anymore. Right. And of course, Elvis was engaged at the time he died. Ginger was sitting in the bedroom waiting for him when he never came out of the bathroom. Oh, but she whoa. has been erased from Elvis's history by uh, by the Priscilla Presley Graceland movement. So, yeah, I have a lot of issues with the film itself. I just couldn't believe how entertaining it was. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's enjoy. He's and I've never really liked his films, although I've always acknowledged that he's a really uh, talented filmmaker. His films are always very cinematic and always use the medium uh, yes. in, a, in a compelling way. I just have uh, never. Uh, although, I've, you know, the one film of his that I haven't seen that people tell me is great is Strictly Ballroom. But but I haven't even seen that's the one that I haven't seen. It's 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 pretty fun. And his Romeo and Juliet's fun as well. I want to round out the list with the rest of the nominees. Um, Everything Everywhere All at Once, The Fablemans, Tar, which I loved, Top Gun Maverick, yeah, Triangle Tar. of Sadness and Sarah Polly's Women Talking. Do you have a favorite of those? Uh, 10 well, there's nominees a for- couple of them I haven't seen, like the Sarah Polly film. Um, Me too. Uh, and I, I thought Tar was great. Um, I loved it. But and the Fablemans I liked a lot too. But I really have to give it all to everything, everywhere, all at once. Me and too. I think even though, like, I think, uh, like, the Banshees of Inisherin is is easily as good a film, and it's even though it's very different. Like, I think everything, everywhere, all at once is the one I'm rooting for because Me too. it really just uh, was just a, they just swung for the fences with that film, and they made a completely original. 
and and it's great to see a, a, a nominated movie that's a front runner. That's a really fun movie. It's such a fun film yeah, and a moving and, film and a family. Yeah, and film. a moving film, and and it it, it gave a great career boost to all these great people like uh, Michelle Yeoh and. Um, I agree. And, 22 um, years after she should have been nominated for Crouching Tiger. Uh, Mr. Conniff, we only have a couple minutes. Before we go, I'd be remiss if I didn't uh, tell you that a lot of people thought of you when we lost our friend David Crosby last week. Someone who did I this know. show hundreds of times. Someone who had a lot of affection for you, who uh, famously came to your birthday party. And um, I loved everything you posted about David. Yeah, I don't know how it became... Uh so well known that he came to my birthday party. Oh, wait, I, I mentioned it on like on every time I was on your show, I mentioned it. We, we'd be having a conversation about the World Ec- Economic Forum, and I would work in that David Cross became to my birthday party. So uh, but that was like a great such a great memory for me and all of my memories of Cross, uh, which are just a few of hanging out with him. Uh, I just treasure them all. And that, that night at Caroline's was so memorable when you interviewed right. him on stage. And, and I love that he got to see me have like a great set and he came up to me afterwards. And I, I know he's died and I'm making this all about me, but it no, was just no, such no, a like such a great memory for me to hang out with him. And, um, uh, you know, he he was a lot of people had different experiences with him. Our experiences with him, I think, were all very positive. Yeah, we didn't have to be in a band with him. Uh, but yeah, yes, you're exactly, exactly right. Frank, do you have anything you want to plug or promote? I want to thank you for joining us tonight. Well, just the next Mad show will be the second Tuesday of uh, February. Uh, will be uh, I usually I'm too spaced out to give you the exact date. I'll give you the exact date. It's February 14th. Valentine's Day uh, is our next show. It's a live uh, riff that Trace, will you and I are doing of of a secret agent movie from the 60s called uh, Dimension Five. Starring uh, Jeffrey Hunter, who's, who you all remember as Captain Pike in The Searchers. That's so, right. uh, uh, so uh, that's uh, that's going to be a fun one. So that's at eight p.m. and it's it's ten dollars, and uh, uh, people can check it Brilliant. out if they like. I hope to have you back on, Frank, before uh, before Valentine's Day. The Mads are back. Is Frank and Trace Bellew recreating their personas for Mystery Science Theater and riffing on some delightfully cheesy movies? Thank you, Mr. Connor, for joining us, as always. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Quick break. We'll be right back with your calls in just a moment. Rude Pundit joins us in the next hour. This is Progress. I'm John Fugel saying this is Sirius XM Progress. We're at 866-997-4748, 866-997-GRIT. Folks, whether you like it or not, the Rude Pundit is back. Lee Papa is the political blogger known by his superhero name. He's got tens of thousands of weekly readers as the Rude Pundit. You might know him from his appearances on the Stephanie Miller Show. New York Times compared him to, uh, well, they said he was the child of Lenny Bruce, Richard Pryor, and Hunter S. Thompson. He's a great live performer as well. You can support him. You get even more content from Lee on Patreon under the username Rude Pundit. Welcome back, Lee Papa. Do you really think that Liam and Noel are going to get back together at any point? Yes. You did. Always been the plan. 
always been the plan. Yep. I think Noel wanted to go off and, and not have his brother around, play smaller gigs, write some good songs. And he's written some terrific songs. I like Noel's High Flying Birds. and uh, High Flying Birds are great, yeah. He did our show, Lee, after that. It's peaked. He's got to go back. He's got to go crawling back to his old gig after being on this show. So, yeah. <laughs> you're right. You're right. You really got every band, every band will. REM's going to do it at some point. I mean, except Talking Heads and 10,000 Maniacs are probably the two bands that will never reunite. But everyone else will. Well, now that Bill Barry's playing again, there's no reason for them not to get back oh, together. Good REM point. Me. Good point. The <clears throat> REM. I just, I'm still scarred from 2011. That was the year that REM broke up and the White Stripes broke up and LCD Sound System broke up while New Kids on the Block toured with Backstreet Boys. It was a bad year for rock, is what I'm saying. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm yeah. all for the it was, it was tragic. It was tragic. But, uh, yeah, I I sometimes just randomly tweet, man, I miss R.E.M. So, you know. Me too. Me yep. too. I don't, I don't, I know Mike Mills does. I don't know if Stipe does yet, but I, I think they will do it at some point. Lee, it's so good to see you. I'm not sure if we want to start on Republican hypocrisy on the debt limit or Republican hypocrisy on classified documents. Let, let me just begin <laughs> by saying um, I, I'm a bit verklempt because I found myself vigorously agreeing with Lindsey Graham. He said, I am tired of the shit show surrounding who is going to send tanks to Ukraine and when they're going to send them. World order is at stake. Putin is trying to rewrite the map of Europe by force of arms. Lee, I know once or twice a year, <laughs> Lindsey Graham does something or says something that's not completely full of crap, but it's still hard for me to take it. You know, you know, the other thing that I that I love that Lindsey Graham said, was it today that he said, all I've got, uh, you know, in my garage are uh, Chick-fil-A bags. Yes. Yeah, so <laughs> you, you come to my house, you'll find Chick-fil-A bags all over the floor. Yeah. Which is which is just the saddest image, isn't it? Like well, like Lindsey Graham yeah. sitting at home going, I think it's time for another Chick-fil-A sandwich. How could I make homophobes happy today? I know. Yeah, exactly yeah, right. Let me let me go to the place that 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 donates money to the homophobic organizations. Yeah, I know. But <laughs> then you know, everyone will think I'm straight. Well, you know, I don't think anyone will. And someone's going to challenge him for the Republican nomination at some point in his party. He keeps bringing home the bacon. But I, I, I have to agree with him on this one. They, the U.S. has announced they're going to send a significant number of M1 Abrams tanks to Ukraine. Um, and Germany will be sending some as well, which is going to be interesting. We'll be rooting for German tanks against Russia this time. Yeah. This yeah. is a major yeah. development in the effort to arm Ukraine. And the same right wing people, Lee, that just spent 20 years calling us appeasers, if we didn't want to do stupid foreign wars to kill brown people for oil, yeah. they're the ones defending Putin when he's literally copying what Hitler did. Yeah. And when you when you have all of these people that are saying, you know, this is this is about saving the world order. You know, people who who I trust are say, saying that this is this fight is this important. And it's nice that certainly nice that we're sending tanks, but it's really good that Germany is getting the message on this because Germany has to know that, you know, stop it now before it creeps closer and closer to its border. That's it. That's it. Um, let's bring it closer to home uh, and talk about the hypocrisy, because I, <laughs> Lee, it's only Tuesday and already I'm tired of these fuckers. I've had it. Um, I know. It, it, let, let's I mean, let's start with the debt limit. Here's Joe Biden earlier today telling reporters he will hold fast against Republican efforts to tank the world economy over the debt limit. A one. We also want to talk about uh uh, the extreme Republican economic plans. Uh, apparently, they're generally serious about uh, cutting Social Security, cutting Medicare, 
and uh, I love their 30% sales tax. Um, that will, uh, we want to talk a lot about that. Um, but look, I have no intention of letting the Republicans wreck our economy, nor does anybody around this table, in my view. And you know what, Lee? Wall Street has no intentions of letting Republicans do it either. How do you see this playing out? Because we sure do have a bunch of hotheads who really want to play chicken with someone else's life. Well, I mean, you know, it's good that they keep bringing up uh, Social Security and Medicare being on the chopping block since Republicans seem reluctant to say that that's what they're actually doing. And, you know, the fact of the matter is that they keep talking about balanced budget, balanced budget, but they won't do anything that actually is required to balance the budget. Um, And I want to see, you know, I want to see a showdown over something like the 14th Amendment, you know, that says that the debt of the uh, of the the United States will not be I forget what the exact word is where it's very clear that the debt has to be honored in the constitution and so i don't understand you know let if we're gonna play chicken let's play chicken over something like that where uh where we where we 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 end up with an elimination of the whole issue since republicans are the one that have been playing games with it since what since at least 2011 2010 2011 But that's what makes me crazy, because this is still the party of Dine and Dash. This is still the same party that wanted to have two wars off the books while cutting taxes Mm -hmm. for rich people. And now they're wondering why we're short on cash. I remember the midterms. Do you remember back to the days of the midterms 2022, Lee? I know it's it's a long time ago. You know what? A lifetime has passed since then. (laughs) These these Republicans ran on what? On fighting inflation, uh, immigration and how wokeness is bad. Um, (laughs) Nothing about the deficit. In any of those campaigns, nothing about balancing the budget. And they really, except for Rick Scott, none of them talked about proposals to cut social insurance programs. But now we're back to hearing the same old bullshit language. They'll, they want to cut entitlements because they can't come out yeah. and say earned benefits. Or they'll say, we need reforms to mandatory spending programs. They're talking about turning your grandma's Social Security into a scratch-off game. Right. They, they, are t- they are telling you that we want to fuck over everyone in the future. And and that and we're going to do that to to serve an ideology that is so bankrupt at this point that that it should be the 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 debt that's falling apart. You know, it's 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 so ludicrous. And it's 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 also impossible. They keep bringing up this raise the credit card limit example. And that's not what it is. It's It's not not what it is is at all. It's saying, you know what, I'm going to pay my fucking bills that I already have. And they keep getting away with the with the with their descriptions of it, as if this is about future spending and not on spending in the past, including all the fucking spending that Trump did for two years of which with a uh, Republican Congress rubber stamping, whatever, we're paying for the fucking tax cut. That's what's going on here. That's it. That's it. I mean, Barack Obama paid for Bush's wars. But in the last 230 years, America has acquired 27 trillion of debt so far. 25 percent of that, one quarter of the total debt we've had in 230 years came in four years of Donald Trump. The the national debt rose 36 percent under Donald Trump. And these Republicans raised the debt limit three times during his administration without once demanding any kind of concessions or any kind of spending cuts. I don't have to tell you this. You're the rude pundit. But Republican president's deficits are 54 percent larger than Democrats. And the Democrats can't stop letting themselves be punching bags over this issue. I mean, is this actually going to blow up in their face? Is this really going to be a win for Joe Biden at the end of the day? Because Wall Street's not going to let the GOP do this. 
Well, government shutdowns are are always a win for for Democrats. I mean, there hasn't been a government shutdown yet that hasn't blown up in their faces. So if they want to keep stepping on their dicks on this all uh, again, let's just hope they don't do too much damage except to their own dicks. (laughs) (laughs) Here's Chuck Schumer today updating reporters after a meeting at the White House over the debt limit. We had a great and productive meeting with the president, and it was one where of contrasts between us, our party, the Democrats and the Republicans. Democrats are unified. Republicans are in chaos. Democrats are aiming to help working families. They want to help the very wealthy. Democrats are saying that we can come together in a moderate way. They are extremists. That's the contrasts. Unity versus chaos, helping the middle class, helping their rich friends, and we will come together as moderates. They are extremists. The bottom line is we said that our unity is our strength, that the president, the House, the Senate are going to be on the same page talking about what we should do. There we go. There's Chuck Schumer calming all of us down with his strong and steady ways. I mean, (laughs) Lee, I I just cringe, though. I cringe whenever I hear them talk about moderate as, you know, this is the goal to be moderate. And it's like, yeah. And it's like it's like, what the fuck? You know what? When you're when you're when you're dealing with insane people, you know, stop trying to be rational. I mean, I'm not saying be insane, but stop trying to say, all right, we're going to say what we need to say to calm everyone down. You're That's never right. going to win that way. And and you have to be willing to slap down this 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 erection they have for destruction. The dis- You're right, erection I mean, I would for say, destruction. I, it's my favorite um, Guns N' Roses album. But I, would you would you agree, though, that Schumer is staking out the territory of saying he I'm going to say moderate as much as I can so we yeah. can paint the GOP as extremists sure. when the time comes by. Sure. I mean, that's, sure. that's, oh, that's yeah. the Democratic oh, playbook. No, that's why they go milk toast. Right. But they're but they're they're. Um, they're also allowing, I think, in some way. Well, and you know what? I don't want to get into a whole thing about about the good and bad of the word moderate. Yes. The more you can do to make the Republicans seem like the crazy motherfuckers that they are, the better. And if that's the tactic to use to get everyone to say, look, here's rational Chuck Schumer talking calmly about things. And here's, you know, Kevin McCarthy and uh, and Marjorie Taylor Greene and Jim Jordan just being hysterical fucking idiots about about everything. Yeah. And you're going to wonder, who do I trust? And, you know, you're going to want to put your trust in the calm person. You know, most of us would. <laughs> so some of us, some of us like to just, you know, throw our money at uh, at whatever crazy idea comes along, I guess. Well, I'll get off this issue in a second. But Trump is the only president in the last nine decades to lose more jobs than he created, something Democrats don't talk about enough. And, right. and the growth in the deficit under Trump is the third biggest growth under a president relative to the size of the economy in history. You know who had bigger growths to the deficit than than Donald Trump? Do you know the two? Um, Reagan? No, Lincoln and George W. Bush. 
Only Lincoln and George W. Bush had a greater increase to the deficit. Uh, Lincoln was paying for a civil war and Bush was uh, not paying for two wars and having uh, tax cuts for rich people. I mean, like literally, that's how destructive he was. And the fact is, most Americans aren't aware of these hard gold numbers because Democrats haven't pounded them into people's heads yet. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess I guess sort of uh, half the tax base was gone for Lincoln, too. <laughs> Not for their. Right. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I mean, it just it seems like that, you know, Democrats are, have never gotten beyond the 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 tax and spend uh, motto that was given to them. And it is something that has stuck with them or it's something that they have not successfully been able to push aside. And so mm. they still react, it seems sometimes to these attacks with, well, we don't want to be accused again of being tax and spend when it is always, always, always the uh, the Democrats that are res- the responsible ones. And uh, and, you know, and, you know, it's better to be tax and spend than to be no tax and spend. Mm-hmm. I mean, but even then, Democrats like I, I've, since I was a kid, I've, I've been screaming when they call you tax and spend Democrats. Why don't you call them borrow and spend Republicans? I, I, yeah. I, I they're the pinata yeah. party. They just keep taking the hits. All right. Let, tax, let me get off of this. Tax and Tax cut and spend is 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 a recipe for disaster. And it, that's what they should be hammering home. Exactly. Um, and again, I don't I don't think they're going to actually throw the entire world economy into tailspin by defaulting on our debt. I just I still have to believe at the end of the day, Wall Street owns the GOP and Wall Street won't want that. This is a bunch of the Nazi caucus auditioning with speeches on Fox. And that's all they want to have. Can we shift it over to the discovery of classified documents at former Vice President Pence's home in Indiana? Sure, because sure. I needed the story to get more bizarre. Politically, this does make things more complicated for the Republicans who are trying to weaponize Joe Biden's mishandling of classified documents. I have many thoughts about this. I'm curious where you come down. We, we began the show playing a clip from a few weeks ago of Pence on my old buddy Larry Kudlow's show talking about how he would never allow this to happen because his office was so responsible. It seems like it's kind of easy to screw up and accidentally bring work home. Here's the thing. I think that this has probably happened all the time that when presidents and vice presidents are moving out, they shit gets packed in. We know that there's, you know, overclassification of documents that they classify the least little thing. And uh, and then that's it. And most and I think that for decades this happened and we just never heard about it because it was, hey, we found these documents. Here you go. Come on, take a look. Let's see if there's any more documents. And that was it. But when fuck out the orange clown all of a sudden stole documents and then mm-hmm. said, fuck you, I'm not going to give them back. And in fact, come and try to get them and then lie about uh, about wh- how many he had, where he had them and all of that, asked his lawyers to lie about them. Well, that blew the whole thing up. So some Something that I think, yes, is it wrong for them to have classified documents? Of course. But, you know, I think that so much of it is that has happened before is just in the as a matter of course, and they get returned. And the other thing is, is that when it came to the documents for Biden and I'm going to guess for Pence, too. They didn't fucking notice they were missing because they weren't exactly. No one knew. No, no one, one gave knew. a shit. They found them. What happened with Trump was it was like, holy shit. What did he take? Fuck that. Get it back. Rude pundit. I'm, how do I'm we follow you and keep up with all your work? 
Twitter at Rude Pundit, uh, Patreon, as you brought up before, patreon.com slash Rude Pundit. I just wrote something about DeSantis and uh, his not allowing for an African-American studies uh, AP course in high schools. Um, You can uh, I'm on Facebook, The Rude Pundit. I'm on Instagram, Rude Pundit. And as always, the blog, rudepundit.blogspot.com. I wrote something about uh, the anniversary of Roe v. Wade, and I've got something coming up uh, this week that there's a contest that the Florida Department of Education is sponsoring where they're asking students to write essays on famous Floridian, African-American Floridians and the suggestions they give make you not be able to avoid critical race theory if you write an honest essay. Let's about talk about it next week. I can't wait to read it. Rude Pundit, thank you so much. Have a great evening. We'll be right back with your calls. This is Progress. We are back. This is Sirius XM Progress. I'm John Fugelsang. Once again, I am in California for this week's broadcast. There were three mass shootings in California in 36 hours with about over 18 dead, another 20 wounded. There have already been 39 mass shootings in the United States so far in 2023, and we still have another week to go in January. We are the only developed country in the world that has these problems. For every 100 people, there are 120 guns. And of course, it's all preventable. That's why I'm so glad to talk to people smarter and funnier and more moral than me to try to help make sense of this country and where we find ourselves. And I'm so glad to welcome Dr. Tracy Pearson back to the broadcast. She's a legal analyst and consultant you've seen on TV, radio, podcasts. She's been quoted everywhere from Forbes to the New York Post. And you might have seen her on uh, her appearances in multiple Fox syndicates, plus Cheddar News and News Nation. Dr. Tracy, it's great to see you. Welcome back. Thank you, John. It's wonderful to be here. I can't believe we're both in L.A., but we're not together. I know. I'm so sorry about it, but don't worry. I'm, I'm outside your house. I'll be stalking you and your entire family while I'm here this week, because um, <laughs> I know you understand. You truly do, and only I understand you. Uh, but we'll, we'll get to that later on. You should change your pin codes, by the way. Um, you know, I, I talked to you a week ago, and I, I was just lamenting how terrible it is to be in California with all the rain. I never knew how good we had it. Um, it's so sad to be flying back to the state I love so much amidst all this violence. But one of the points I keep hearing our right-wing friends say is, look at California. Oh, all these gun laws, and yet you still have three mass shootings. Just celebrating the death because it proves their argument that it doesn't make sense to do anything to prevent these. The fact is, as you know, um, California has substantially fewer gun deaths than other states anywhere close to their size because they have so many smart gun laws. (laughs) I mean, how do we make sense out of all this? I agree with you that that California has far fewer, but when we have them, they're really big. And it is worrisome. I, I am troubled by people who misdirect. Uh, the ATF is 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 partially, you know, there's there's a there's a gun check res- responsibility that that happens here. And um, it's all by subjective submission. So you fill out this form and it's very, very subjective um, what you include. And there's really no way to verify it. Um, my theory on this or my thinking on this is really basic. It's very simple. There are there are two variables and Please. one of them is not constant. Uh, that's people. They're different people. One thing is constant and that is the gun. And so. Mm-hmm. 
it makes sense to me that we should be doing something about the gun and the gun manufacturers. One of the things that I have frankly always believed is that um, if you made the gun manufacturers liable uh, for uh, wrongful death, um, what would happen is that our tort system would work properly and we would hopefully implement some change that would come from the pressure of the gun manufacturers to do so because they would then face less exposure. That's right. That's right. I mean, but what would that look like? Would this look anything like the class action suits we saw, say, waged against the cigarette companies a generation ago? I mean, if you're putting on the market a product that when used correctly results in death, why can't we go after you en masse for that? Is that what you're thinking? That's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking that there's there's got to be a method for doing that. And then what that does is that if we didn't have a law in place that prevented that, um, but that allows that to happen, because, for example, let's just play this out. I had covered the cruise case on another network and I covered that that uh, sentencing um, of that of that case. And, and so one of the things there was that it was at a school and we see a lot right. of school shootings. So you could put a GPS device in a gun somewhere, somehow a tiny itty bitty little chip that would disable the gun within a school, um, you know, or within a certain number of feet within the school. Um, I think that that and again, I'm not a gun manufacturer, so I know there are probably listeners listening. They're saying, I should know what you're talking about. Um, but I think that there there are ways of thinking about this that that you can design a, a weapon that does what it does, but that there are ways of regulating it and uh, ways of manufacturing it that would make it safer for people. I mean, we are, we're in Los Angeles and we're hearing stories about um, uh, Alec Baldwin and the case out of New Mexico that apparently is being brought against him. And it, it, I, the reason why I'm sort of jumping to that is because that gun uh, was when the FBI tested it, all the internal parts busted on him uh, when they tested it. And so they couldn't they couldn't finish the testing. And so, you know, that was obviously a, <laughs> a very old gun and, and it was used for other purposes. But but there are ways of That's manufacturing right. guns that that could make it safer. Well, I mean, this makes me think of like the James Bond gun, right? Like when we think about the kind of guns we saw in Skyfall, what if you had the technology where the gun owner has the gun matched to his or her finger? Well, his women aren't responsible for mass shootings. Let's let them off the hook. I think women should have all the guns they want. Women can have AR-15s. I think women should have free ammo. As far as I'm concerned, I want no restrictions for women. Okay, Lauren Bobert and and Marjorie Taylor Greene. Uh, good point. But I think we can agree the Y chromosome has shown they're the demographic that can't be trusted with guns if you want to be simple about things. But, sure. you know, I, I, I look at California's rate of firearm mortality and it's among the lowest in the country. California has 8.5 gun deaths per 100,000 people in Texas. It's 14.2 gun deaths per 100,000 people, and it's 13.7 gun deaths per 100,000 people nationally, which tells us that these little things to prevent here, to prevent there, little laws here, little laws there, it all adds up. Californians are 25% less likely to die in mass shootings, regardless of the horror we've witnessed in the last three days here. 
Absolutely. I agree with you. I mean, I, we had when I, I don't, I can't remember. It was maybe within the last year, there was something nearby me over at the sprouts nearby me, but it was, it was an isolated incident and it was a domestic incident. And my husband was in the back of the grocery store with a whole bunch of people, but it, these things are very isolated, very small generally. But when, when, when we hear about them, they're huge huge events, San Bernardino, uh, again, the, the, the two this week, it's really horrific. And it scares the bejesus out of me. I, every time my husband leaves the house, I go, be careful, come back. You yeah. know, it's really frightening. Yeah. Let me go to the phone, Sal in New Mexico. Welcome. You're on Sirius XM with Dr. Tracy Pearson. Hi. John, thank you so very, very much for taking my call. This is my first time calling into your show. So honored. And thank you. I- Thank you. I am in. I am in need of your assistance. Okay. So, the right has taken the word "woke" yes. and turned it into basically a four-letter R-rated word. Yes. Now, as far as I'm concerned, "woke" basically means you are alert. You are aware of your surroundings and aware of what's going on. Um, it's almost like Buddhist enlightenment, so to speak. Yes. Which, yes. which would make which would make the opposite of woke something akin to ignorance or or being which comatose. Be, I prefer I prefer comatose. You know, it's the you can be woke or you can be the go back to sleep party. I mean, I never liked the term woke because I I think woke is the sort of thing anyone telling you they're woke isn't. They're showing how they aren't. Woke is something you aspire to. You know, it's not about the the destination. It's about the journey, and it's about how much are we trying to be more woke every day, not just declaring that we are. But yeah, I mean, I thought it just meant anti-racism and being aware of racism. And we know that, I mean, Dr. Tracy, every, it seems like every decade, they find a way to smear whatever term means empathy and kindness. When I was a kid, it was, uh, it, it was a bleeding heart. Like Jesus, that was a bad thing. That it was politically correct. Just hey, let's use language to not be dicks. Oh, politically correct. That it was social justice warrior. Uh, now, now it's woke, and it just seems like people who don't mind racism don't get offended by racism using this term for anti-racism to smear the anti-racists. What do you think? I think that over our history, we've seen this happen in in other um, situations or in communities. There's there's a word that's used in the LGBTQ community um, for lesbians that uh, was an insult at one point. And what happened was it was embraced and then it no longer became an effective insult. And I Mm -hmm. think that something that we ought to be thinking about is, yes, you damn straight I'm woke. Absolutely. And I'd rather be woke than asleep. I'd rather be woke than and be unconscious and and respond that way. Sal, what do you think? So, John, are you basically saying that the the terminology used should be that we are getting woke or we are spy as opposed to being woke? You know, I, I mean, that's that's what I use personally. But that's just like I don't I don't call myself a liberal or, or a Christian. I aspire to be liberal. I aspire to be Christian. But I always feel like I've got a long way to go. That's just how I, I, I define it. You, you know how Ron DeSantis's lawyers defined it? Go ahead. Well, they're having this trial and the judge asked them, you know, what does that word mean? And Ron DeSantis's lead lawyer said it means the belief that there are systemic injustices in American society and the need to address them. That's what Ron DeSantis' own lawyers say when he smears the term all day long. Don't they sound stupid? Was, and yet it was his spokesman, sorry, and yet it was his spokesman 
when they um, when they talked about the elimination of AP and uh, of AP African American studies. Um, and, and, and I want to really just quick after this, John, if I may, touch on the NHL for just a second. Sure. You said about how we can't allow this woke uh, generation to, to take hold of what we're trying to do here in Florida. Right. What about it? No, I, I'm, I'm, oh, uh, I'm just saying, I, he used that term. I mean, if, yeah. if his lawyers are defining it, that to me, I mean, I, I think what I heard was a very logical, coherent definition of, of that word. Oh, you're, you're, no, you're exactly right, but Ron, you're exactly right, but Ron DeSantis is like Donald Trump. He'll say one thing in court. And then he'll say one thing for the cameras. So he will exactly. have his lawyers say what woke really means, the belief that there are systemic injustices in American society and the need to address them. And then he'll come out and for the cameras say woke means teaching white children to hate themselves. Exactly. Yes. And, and He's and a hypocritical <laughs> fake Christian douchebag is the terminology I use. Yeah, and, and so real quick, John, if I may, um, I, I'm a huge hockey fan. I mean, I'm driving home right now in my New York Rangers jersey. I mean, I, okay. wear, I wear hockey jerseys all the time. I'm a huge right hockey on. fan. Okay, and well, yeah, I mean, you're in New Mexico, sure. Go on. I'm a, a, Exactly. Well, I'm a born and raised New Yorker, so. Um, cool. But uh, I'm extremely upset at the NHL for pulling out of their, uh, and changing the terminology of the event that they were planning to have down in Florida um, because the DeSantis administration put pressure on them to do so. I, I, was, I really would have hoped the NHL would have stuck to their guns and kept the advertising the way it was, but unfortunately, they, frankly, if I'm the NHL and, and DeSantis does this, I pull the All-Star game out of Florida and move it somewhere else. Hmm. I mean, I have no idea what he's talking about. Well, the NHL had had this idea. Like, was this about like the, the 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 job fair they wanted to have? Is that what you mean? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, the, the NHL was going to have a, a this job fair, uh, the Pathway to Hockey Summit, and um, you know they're trying to make it more diverse within the NF NHL. I just was talking to a, an African American friend of mine who works for the NHL in New York last week about this. But the press secretary for Ron DeSantis said discrimination of any sort is not welcome in the state of Florida. We did not abide by the woke notion that discrimination should be overlooked. To, to Ron DeSantis, having more diverse members of the NHL is discrimination. That's literally how they're drawing the lines here. I mean, isn't it ironic, Tracy, that the guy who keeps on saying that systemic racism doesn't exist keeps showing us how it's done? Yeah, I, I it's just it's upside down land there. I mean, it really, truly is. And I I just so much of bad comes out of his mouth. I, I sort of cringe every time I hear him open it. Um, I, I, I'm very curious how how trying to bring in underrepresented folks into an organization is discrimination. But the, here's I mean, the language they use. The, 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 the event description said for Pathway to Hockey Summit, participants must be 18 years of age or older based in the U.S. and identify as female, black, Asian, Pacific Islander, Hispanic, Latino, indigenous, LGBTQIA plus and or a person with a disability. Veterans are also welcome and encouraged to attend. That is what offended Ron DeSantis and the NHL buckled and folded. And now they say, well, uh, the event is open to anyone over the age of 18. <laughs> Literally an event designed to make hockey less white. And now they're terrified 
of Ron DeSantis. I, I say let them do it. This is what they stand for, Tracy. These are their values. Let them own them and be famous for it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Although I agree. I mean, I would have yanked that out of there. I would have just yanked it out of Florida. I would stuck stuck it in California or somewhere else where they could have uh, benefited from it. I, 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 I was a I was a McNair fellow, which is a federal fellowship that uh, that is for underrepresented um, students and uh, who are underrepresented or low income first generation. I fit into the latter category. Folks on radio can't see me right now. So <laughs> I think that um, it is, it, it, does he does he not allow those types of programs too? Yeah, exactly. That's the question. I mean, and how the other question for me is how much of this does Ron DeSantis really mean? And how much of it is more of just his performative bullying to make the fake Christians think he's cruel enough to get their vote? Sal, you're a gentleman. I hope you'll call back more often. It's a pleasure to hear from you. And Dr. Tracy, thank you so much for joining us. What is the best way for our evil army of the night to follow you and keep up with all your doings? Oh, gosh. Well, folks can follow me on Twitter. They can follow me Instagram, TikTok, LinkedIn, all at Tracy Explains. I'm on Mastodon, too. I also have a Substack, Dr. Tracy Explains, and I have a website, TracyExplains.com. So good to see you. Thanks for being a part of, uh, of this on Tuesdays. It's really a blast. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. It's great to see you, too. Thank you. Thank you. 